For a couple of weeks now, we've been answering the question of who are we as a church? What does being a part of the hub mean on the ground? What are our priorities? What are our goals? What are we here to be and to do? Last week, we introduced a sentence to you, and it's actually a sentence that's now on the front of our lectern. We introduced a sentence to you that we feel sums up who we are. And who we are is we are being and making disciples of Jesus in Armstrong Creek. Being and making disciples of Jesus in Armstrong Creek. A couple of weeks ago, we talked about uh, our passion for Jesus, the, 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 the one we gather around, and our love for the Bible, which is uh, one of the main ways we can get to know Him. Last week, we looked at what it meant to be a beautiful community of God's people, to be disciples of Jesus, gathering around Him, becoming the loving intimate, attractive people of God. And this week, we want to have a look at not just being disciples, but making disciples of Jesus. And we don't want to be apologetic about this. This is who we are. If you are a guest with us today, if, if you're not a follower of Jesus, or if you're not yet sure if you are or you're not, we're not trying to be secretive about our goals and our motivations. It's interesting that both church people and non-church people can find this subject really cringeworthy. Both of us tend to react negatively about something that can often be quite awkward. Because we've seen making disciples, or evangelism to use the official word, done badly, haven't we? Uh, you will have heard the fire and brimstone preacher who seems to just want to yell people out of hell and into heaven or something like that. Or maybe you've been part of one of those really awkward, intense conversations where a passionate believer just didn't know when to stop and didn't know what timing was. Or maybe you've seen that guy up in Melbourne on the trams as you're going through there wearing a white robe with writing all over it and he's been someone you just haven't wanted to make eye contact with. Even as a believer, I don't want to make eye contact with him. We don't want to be like that. But we do secretly, or, or maybe openly, want to see everyone, everywhere, become followers of Jesus. And it's not because we want a bigger Jesus club. You know, we want more people with more money, we'll build a bigger clubhouse and we'll be able to say, we're the biggest and we're the best and we're winning. It's not about that. It's because we have a treasure. A treasure. I wonder if you've got a treasure. What's your treasure? We've got a treasure, and it's a treasure that we don't want to keep to ourselves like some treasures. It's a treasure that we want to share. It's something we find so beautiful, so enticing, so wonderful, that for the people that we love and care about most deeply, our love for you and our love for this treasure want to come together. We want you to have what we have because it's beautiful and because it's wonderful and because it's been life-changing for us. The person who wrote this section that I just read 
uh, the Apostle Paul talks about this treasure, Jesus, as a fragrance. A fragrance in a triumphal procession. He's describing something to the people he's writing to that they would immediately understand that maybe we don't. It's something maybe you've seen on a, on a Ben-Hur movie. Uh, I think they remade Ben-Hur a couple of years ago, didn't they? I haven't seen the remakes or the original Ben-Hur movie or maybe Gladiator. It's something big, something amazing, something grandiose. You imagine chariots and horses. You imagine streets lined with people. You imagine... Uh, a procession, a parade going down the street. That's what he's talking about. And what's happened with one of these Roman processions that all the people reading this would have seen before is the emperor has sent out a couple of his generals with some of his armies. They've gone out to take a city, to take a land, and they've been successful. They've been good generals, great armies. They've been equipped to do all this. They've been, been victorious. And they've come back to the capital city having won the day. And everyone has turned out to watch this parade through the city. One particular parade, the one I, I read about, was three days long. I've never had a parade that's three days long. Even Paco Festa yesterday, right? One day. This one's three days long. People would build scaffolds around the city to be able to see this procession. And it's a sensory experience. There's so much going on in this parade. There's flowers lining the way, there's stuff to see. There's musicians at the head of the procession bringing music and a beat as the soldiers march along. There's even animals. Uh, this, this one procession had 120 oxen. You imagine them all combed down like at the show. And they, they even gilded their horns with gold leaf. Everything is magnificent and over the top and amazing. The procession's led by the most attractive people that they've got. And there's incense. There's wonderful smells in the air. And then the spoils of war are displayed gold and silver in piles on wagons slowly going down the street. There's slaves and other resources that have been won and conquered from these other lands. There's huge pictures mounted on wagons of the conquered cities and the land so that people could understand what was now theirs. And finally, the general. Wearing the marks of power, mounted on a magnificent chariot, a purple robe, the colour of royalty, interspersed with gold, followed by his army singing songs. Can you imagine maybe a thousand men marching the deep voices of songs praising the general? A three-day celebration. You think the grand final's big. This is big. You think a, a royal wedding or a coronation is magnificent. You think a concert is a spectacle. This is amazing. But this triumphal procession isn't this time for a Roman general. Fresh from a bloody war, dragging people as slaves. This procession is Jesus' procession. Jesus' victory procession. The first thing we want to notice in our passage today is that Jesus is triumphant. 
He's victorious. He's done what he came to do. What he was sent out, he's come back having accomplished. He's had the victory. He's had it in his work. He came, his work was to seek and save the lost. He's done that. He's found the people who were lost. He's rescued them. And for those of you that are still lost, that are still looking and hoping, he's come to save you and he's accomplished that work. He came to buy back and rescue a people. And here we are, one of the small churches of the people of God strewn throughout the world, billions of people bought and rescued to belong to Jesus. He came to defeat sin and death, taking away its power. And if you're filled with sin and guilt, and if you're worried about death and what that means and what comes after it, Jesus has won the battle over sin and death. And he leads a procession in front of the whole world for everyone to see. He's triumphant. And although he's triumphant, it's not through military victory. He's not triumphant by having inflicted violence. He triumphed by having violence inflicted on him. What a different celebration this is. He hasn't stolen slaves as spoils of war. He's won a people through rescue. We are his victory spoils. We are the people in the procession being led throughout the world for everyone to see. We're what is won from the enemy. Maybe instead of a procession with slaves, you want to imagine a rescue mission into the heart of North Korea. Many of you are much smarter than me. You probably know a whole lot more about North Korea from me uh, than me. But in North Korea, of course, we, we get the face of King Jong-un and the, the nuclear threat, don't we? That's what's presented to us. But for the people within the country, there's... Did I say it wrong, did I? My son's laughing at me. <laughs> Oh, right, okay, sorry. But for the people in the country, there's much more than a... I'm not even going to try it. Nuclear threat. That country is one of great oppression. Hardship, starvation, a lack of freedom. A nation ruled by a tyrant filled with people who maybe even don't understand what they're missing. And maybe you want to imagine sending SEAL Team 6 or the Australian version of that into North Korea. And they go in and they know that there's some people there who need rescue, who long for rescue, hungering for rescue. And they go in and they grab them somehow and run out with all these people. Not, probably not in sacks, hey? They're probably not carried. I don't know how. They, they run out with all these people and they, they get them out of the country. And finally, these people are free. They've been rescued They're led into a new life filled with freedom and abundance and light. A a life filled with hope that they've never had before. Jesus has marched into the land of the spiritually lost. Into the land of people who are far from God. And he's fought with the tyrant of that land. And with his own life he snatched out a people that now belong to him, their rescuer and their loving king. 
First thing we want to notice is that Jesus is triumphant, a triumphant rescuer. The second thing is that those rescued people are the fragrance of the rescuer. Okay, mixing metaphors now, but those rescued people are now the fragrance of the rescuer. And a fragrance is designed to spread, isn't it? I mean, sometimes you get bad fragrances that you don't want to spread, but, but other times you, you design a fragrance to spread. It's designed to be carried from its source out to the crowd in this procession. A fragrance is designed to be smelled. You, you put on aftershave, don't you? so that someone can smell it and enjoy it. A fragrance is designed to tell you what this thing you're smelling is like as well. Uh, Maybe you imagine freshly baked bread. You can smell that and before you even see what it looks like, you know that it's good, you know that it's delicious, you can imagine the butter melting on that bread while it's still warm. When you come within 100 k's of your favourite holiday location, you can smell the scent of the ocean, can't you? And you can imagine the waves on the beach and the sunshine and the freshness of the air. Maybe for you it's, it's freshly cut grass and you can open your doors in the morning after a nice sleep in and you smell that scent and it reminds you of of summer and lazy days and satisfaction that the lawn looks okay. Whatever it is for you, a fragrance is designed to be smelled and is designed to tell you what your smelling is like. And this procession has a fragrance. And verse 15 says that the fragrance is the rescued people of Jesus who are in the procession. That's what the fragrance is. The fragrance is a people who are spreading the knowledge of God. And the idea here is that you can know the king that you see in the procession. This man, Jesus, who is, who is there, you can know him. And when we talk about knowledge, we're not just talking about knowing a bunch of facts and figures. We're not just talking about knowing scripture and verse, chapter and verse. The biblical word know is talking about a relationship, an intimate relationship. And these people are spreading the fragrance of that relationship. What what God is doing here in this procession is he's enabling a relationship between the lost and the people uh, and, and, and Jesus and God himself. He's enabling that relationship. The fragrance is saying, you can have this. It can be yours. This can be your king too. It's a relationship that leads to life. It's one of Jesus' famous sayings. I am the way, the truth, and the life, he said. No one comes to the Father except through me. While we're talking about this fragrance, it's interesting to note in the passage that the fragrance will smell good to some and lead them to what is life and it will smell foul to others and lead them to stay in a life that leads to death. 
I listen to Dr. Carl a lot on Triple J. He's got a science segment, I podcast it. Every week you get an hour of listening to science stuff. I love science, it's intriguing and amazing. I love understanding how God has built this world. And on one particular episode of uh, the Science Hour, uh, Dr. Carl had a special guest, I don't know what you call him, guest presenter, guest host, I don't know, just a guest, I guess. <laughs> and he was an expert on smells and food. And one thing that he said was, was really interesting to me is that for everyone, all smells are learned. I was quite shocked to hear this. What he meant was, is that to any one person, we start off our life thinking that a smell is just a smell. We don't associate one smell with a good thing or a bad, it's just a smell. And it's over the years that we come to make that association and that connection to the point that whatever we smell, we cannot have our minds convinced that something that smells bad is good or good is bad. When we smell roast beef, many of us will say, that smells good. When we smell a nappy, many of us will smell something really, really bad. There's both warning and relief in all this talk about fragrance. I'll start with the warning just briefly. If you smell a bad smell when it comes to Jesus, it may be that your senses are deeply messed up. That you've yet to truly investigate Jesus. That you're making some huge and dangerous assumptions and that you're on the path that misses the source of life and goodness and that you're in a land with a people that are perishing and who don't even know it. That's the warning. The relief is for the people of God. You don't have to dress anything up. You don't have to think you've done the wrong thing if people don't enjoy the fragrance of God. Your task is simple. And it is a commission from God. Be the people of God in Armstrong Creek. Be open with your faith. Not aggressive, but open. We are the fragrance of the knowledge of God. Verse 17 is really helpful. Let me just read it again for you. It says, for we are not, like so many, peddlers of God's word. But as men of sincerity, as commissioned by God, in the sight of God, we speak in Christ. As Christians, as a church, we are not salesmen. Imagine the uh, ads on late night TV. There's still more and you get this and this and this. That's not who we are. We're not out to make a sale, get some sort of commission, get more coins in the offering box, hype it all up to get someone across the line. We don't bait the hook with what we think the fish will enjoy most. 
trying to change the fragrance to something that people will enjoy. We simply lay out to everyone around us, all of our friends, family, neighbours, colleagues, all of Armstrong Creek, not what they want, but what we have. And what we have is Jesus, a saviour who rescues us from our sin and emptiness. We have a king who died for his people. We have a man who knows and understands us. A God who loves you enough to bear your guilt and your pain for you. Verse 17 uses the word sincerity. It says that we're commissioned by God for this work. We speak in the sight of God and we speak in Christ. And this simply means that we speak only what we've received from Jesus through the Spirit. Only what we find in, in this book here. Jesus is the triumphant rescuer. Those that are rescued are the fragrance of that rescuer. And lastly, the last thing we want to notice is that the message we have is urgent. Really urgent. Did you notice in there uh, the word perishing was used? Have you slowed down and thought about what that word means? People are perishing. If you're the one who is perishing, this is not only urgent, but it's the most important thing you can consider in your life. If this book is actually from God, if Jesus really was more than merely a man, if he was God's messenger, if he is the only way to the Father as he said he was, then that sour smell you have in your nose is sadly, so sadly, the smell of your own coming death. And nothing is more important than turning to the only source of salvation. Don't delay. If you are the fragrance of God, if you're the one spreading the knowledge of Jesus everywhere, then I don't want you to forget how urgent the message is either. I'm not saying to go overboard. I'm not saying get out your soapbox and the message of fire and brimstone. I'm saying, this passage is saying, we hold the key. We hold the treasure. We hold the message of the merciful king. The one who came for the sick and the needy, who came to seek and save the lost. Live your life openly as the fragrance of God. Speak when you can speak gently and lovingly and with respect but don't be afraid that some will turn their noses up at Jesus don't worry that someone will fail to understand don't be concerned that you might lose a friend because this is urgent fear instead that a human being a life a person might be lost forever
we're open about this. We're open about who we are and who we want to continue to be. We're open that this is an area in which we spend resources and we want to continue spending resources as a church. We want to purposefully and intentionally and urgently be pouring our life into this message. This is who we are as a church. Making disciples of Jesus in Armstrong Creek. Yes, we're called to be disciples. We're called to learn, enjoy, gather around Jesus, the Saviour that we love and treasure and adore. But part of being disciples is making disciples, leading people to Jesus. And particularly in Armstrong Creek, the place where God has placed us as a church, you might be in a different place, We want to be active in this community so that people know we're here, so that people can smell the fragrance of Jesus as we live and work in this suburb. We want every person to be in their social circles, inviting their friends and families, bringing them to here in church, inviting them to community groups to be part of the community of God's people We want to be spending time on our knees in prayer to God, asking him, interceding for these people who we care about. And we dream as a church. We dream that we would see people breathe in that aroma and have it be a wonderful and delicious scent, have their faces light up, seeing them seek Jesus and turn to him, seeing them up the front in a couple of years' time, proclaiming, He is mine and I am His forever. We long for a stream of people here up the front with their stories that are so different from each other, but land in Christ, being saved by Him. We boldly long to see Armstrong Creek slowly change as the people in it are rescued by Jesus and as even Armstrong Creek starts to become the aroma of the knowledge of God. That's who we are. Pray with me. Lord God, like other things this morning, this message is bittersweet. It's sweet because Jesus has won the victory. He has bought us and made us his own. We are his people. He will never let us go. We belong to him. We have been rescued. But somewhat bitter as we understand the urgency, as we see people are lost and perishing, part of a country that is broken and that they might not even understand how broken it is. Lord, we pray for anyone in this room who might not know Jesus. We pray, Lord, that that you would enable them to smell the fragrance of your Son and to find it beautiful. We pray for our friends and families, the people we work with, the people we live alongside. And we ask, Lord, that through us, you would do the same thing. Lord, bring a stream of people into your church. May we, Lord, in the future witness many more people 
professing and proclaiming your name. And we pray, Lord, that you would use the hub to do this. May we find much fruit in the work that we do. In the name of your Son, Jesus, we pray these things. Amen.